Kia ora and welcome to the New Zealand Improv Festival Audio Archive. Bringing you live recordings and conversations from New Zealand's annual celebration of spontaneous theatre. In this episode, we bring you Accepting the Beats, a live panel discussion about the creative opportunities and challenges of dance and music in the improv space. The following episode was recorded in front of a live audience at Bats Theatre in October 2020. Please note, due to technical difficulties, the audio quality is a bit poor at times, but the conversational content is always sweet as. And now presenting the NZIF 2020 conference series. Thanks Aaron. I thought we would start with a little bit of a rundown of our personal resumes um, regarding our involvement with performing and improv and music and dance and any overlap therein. Um, so just start with Pippa. What's your what's your background? Oh, okay, cool. Um, my background is um, I have done a lot of theatre growing up and studied that, and um, continued to carry on doing that until I one day fell into some improv and fell also in love with it. Um, I do lots of um, singing on the side and I write stand-up comedy songs which apparently people enjoy. So that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Liam? Um, so I'm, uh, so I'm an actor and musician and theatre maker. I've uh, started uh, improvising from when I was in high school, doing high school theatre sports and stuff. Um, and uh, after high school I sort of come up to Wellington and started doing musical improv. So I'm mainly a, a musical improviser. Um, up here, I do a little bit of like acting or playing as well, um, and I do a bit of like scripted acting around the place uh, and making shows and stuff. Yeah, fantastic. And Eliza. Um, so I train primarily as a dancer and have been working mostly as a choreographer and dancer on and off for the last five years. So my only experience is through dance improvisation except when I was in school I did I did like theater improv when I was about 17 for one of my classes yeah. and and loved it yeah but yeah I'm a, I'm a dance improviser and have performed quite a lot of solo dance improvisation and choreographed on groups and just for this festival did my first group improvised work which is very exciting and it was and bloody loved it. Um, speaking for myself personally, I think I'm a dancer first. Uh, or not. I, uh, when I was four years old, my mother was teaching dance classes and uh, would take me along because childcare. Um, <laughs> and I would just stand in the back and, and start dancing. And so uh, she put me into dance classes from an early age. And so I did ballet and jazz through primary school and half of high school before it got to the point where I was at a very homophobic all-boys school, um, putting on a leotard after school and got uncomfortable with puberty going on at the same time. Um, and I kind of regret stopping that side of things, um, but also all through there I was doing choir and musicals and theatre and stuff, and then at university I got into improv. Uh, through comedy uh, and keep doing musicals, keep doing improv, picked up dance again, uh, started doing salsa 
years ago as well. Um, and yeah, got, uh, got quite involved in that as well. So uh, yeah, my own, like it feels weird to think about myself as a as a dancer first. How, how do you all think of yourselves? Like, are you a, are you an actor first? Are you a musician first? A dancer first? I'm a mess first. I honestly, I really struggle with that question because I love, I just have phases in my life where I just go, oh, I'm really just enjoying music right now, or I'm really just enjoying acting right now, or I just want to be a producer, and I'm just kind of like, who knows, like, what, whatever happens, whatever opportunities come up, that's what I have first in that moment. Great. Liam? Yeah, I, 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 I vote with that. I, I, I agree, I feel like I'm, I, we have lots of different hats, so it very much depends on the situation. In terms of improv specifically, I definitely think of myself as like a musician first, or like a muso or a musical improviser, um, because I'm often thinking about the shows in terms of the music that goes along with them, and um, what that's sort of my job a lot of the time, so that's how I'm thinking about it. Um, yeah, that's how that's done. And that's, that's really interesting, when I was thinking about the stuff that we were going to talk about today, um, it, it kind of occurred to me that there are two camps represented here, and I think, Eliza, you're in one camp where you see improvisation as a tool to make dance work, and in the other camp we might have people who see music and dance as a tool to make improvisation. So we're putting on an improv show and it's a musical show, so we're going to need some musicians, we're going to need some singers, whatever, uh, or we're doing an improv show that's uh, an improvised uh, rock documentary, uh, like uh, I did a few years ago in Christchurch with Cortezes, um, so we're going to need improvisers who can play music. I, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it, and I think I, I, I definitely agree in terms of how I, I think about the music of, of a show, it's definitely all in, um, in service of the improv itself. Uh, and I think, I, I think as a musician, I think the job is very, very much support based, and it's to help the, to create something um, that is greater than just the music. So, so uh, the folks look at it from the other angle, like we're not um, using improv to create, uh, like music is the end product. It's like using music to help, yeah, to create this this improv. And maybe that improv is musical, so maybe we're singing songs, but maybe it's just. Um, Players with some underscore or something, and so that's like supporting to create the Sure. Yeah. For me, in terms of dance, it brings up a really interesting um, question or just perspective, I guess, around process versus product. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, in dance, that those two things can be so completely interchangeable. Yeah. Um, because I think quite a lot of the I mean, almost all contemporary dancers improvise, but it's um, most of the time just for ourselves, just for our own process, yes. sometimes for creating movement, sometimes for just having an experience, sometimes for just warming up, kind of. Um, and so there's, I found it really interesting working with this cast of dancers um, around reframing, just being like, that's a thing that can be in front of an audience. Oh, and that as well. Oh, and that, and that, and that, and that, and that, and that, and just kind of like sort of being like, this can be a performance, this can be a performance, like, um, and then vice versa as well, to go like, this performance that we're doing is just a part of 
the ongoing process mm -hmm. of discovering our bodies and discovering our movement languages and discovering um, that. So for me, what I really love about improvisation and performative improvisation is that it, it just passes between process and product so seamlessly. And I love that moment of not knowing which one you're in and just sitting, sitting in both. So, so with um, dance, dance, have feelings. What influenced your decision to make an improvised work? Like, what, how did that come about? I love performing improvisation myself as a dancer, and um, I've always loved improvisation as a kind of emotive thing. And I like being in front of people because I'm a performer. <laughs> um, so over the last couple of years have got into doing that a bit more for myself through various different circumstances and just found those performing experiences really nourishing. And in um, about two years ago, I started um, developing this method of improvisation for dancers for performance because basically I wanted to give my performers the experience of improvising in front of an audience but I'm also a massive micromanager and have a very specific aesthetic <laughs> and I'm a choreographer at heart who wants to kind of control the world and, and design and scope the kind of space and language. So, so the aim of that, that method was to um, create dance improvisation that sits within a really clear aesthetic framework. So for about two years I've kind of been going, my question has kind of been, how can I make works where the dancers get to be um, improvising and feeling that joy of moment-to-moment -moment decision making and all of that great like live active stuff and then for me to be able to sit back and go this is a work that fits within the house of sand kind of world and I, I really want to put my name on and so yeah I just I did the um, workshops to kind of start figuring out what maybe that could be and we just had two weeks of workshops and halfway through those workshops the improv festival was like do you want to come to a show and i was like guys do you want to do it in front of an audience <laughs> so yeah it was kind of very fortuitous and like fast-tracked to just be like i could have mushed around in the theory and the process and just inviting a few friends in and being like we're testing what it feels like to have an audience with like two or three people but we, we do have this concept that the show is created in collaboration with the audience um and part of that collaborative work sits with like interpreting and responding to each other, the audience and the performers. And there was but there was definitely evidence on Tuesday night and um, it was that moment when you started playing um, No Scrubs by TLC and half the audience I swear was singing along and we uh, like we felt really invested in the the proudest And then like halfway through, I'm spoiling the show, but halfway through when, uh, when the, the dancers came out of the front row of the audience, like that just strengthened that feeling of connection between the, the stage and the, the seating. It was magical. Um, speaking of audience involvement, uh, Liam and Pippa, you've both been involved in a show called How to Write an Album in 12 Hours. Um, and I want to talk about that specifically from the point of view of using improv to create a lasting artifact because out of that process came an album that people could take home and keep and that's not something that normally happens with an improvised show. Do you want to talk about that? 
Um, yeah, uh, the, well, the, the first uh, thing I, I, I think about is actually what, like, you got, as what I was talking about before about um, music usually being used as, to support, to create, like, an improvised, um, to create some improv theatre. Um, that, that show that you're talking about is basically the opposite, which is we're using improv as a, as a process, as part of the process to create uh, something musical and, as you say, something that like, lasts. The way I um, uh, thought about the show, and I remember actually talking to you, Pepper, about about this, is that the, we thought about the show as a sort of a triangle between uh, songwriting and improvising and like a devised theatre process, and that that between those three things was um, what the what the show was. So it was to use the devising and use songwriting and use improvising as tools to create um, uh, something something lasting, and I think we. Yeah, I, I suppose, and uh, the, the way we use improv is kind of it's like games and like ways to like channel content or get stimulus from the audience and then like sort of play around with it live um, and then like find things. It was a total flip uh, when, when uh, I'm doing traditional theatre storytelling and I'm just being an actor on stage, playing a character, having a connection character or having some sort of connection, um, it's quite focused on this product, which is, is the story. You are watching the story happen, whereas with this show, we were watching, our focus was more on the process than it was on the product. On the product. And that, for me, was um, uh, possibly the most raw form of improv I'd ever been a part of because we had totally ripped down stage lighting and um, a stage and we were all in a kind of a circle in some ways together, literally writers sitting on the floor on a carpet writing lyrics together and we've only got 15 minutes left to record a song and we've, we've only written um, a little tiny piece of a verse, this is scary, ah, uh, um, but we were all in the same quote shit boat together, and I think for me, being um, feeling that was a moment of feeling most togetherness with people in a room yeah. um, in a put in a context. So that process that Liam created, I was kind of behind yeah. a little bit because yeah. I was like, whoa, I actually have to have authentic and long-lasting genuine relationships with these audiences to mm. build something together rather than, and this is not a slight, it's just different, um, rather than saying, can I get a location? Thank you. Yeah, because <laughs> like, rather than just that, that one, uh, one question piece. at the top, the yeah. audience was collaborating all the way through the, the songwriting yeah, process. Yeah, they right sometimes would jump in on the song. Yeah. Like if they wanted to play the drums on the, on the song, we had a, had a guard jump on up and Play the drums for the whole song. We're like, great, cool. He can play. This is. <laughs> uh, we were a bit worried though on that. Um, yeah. Uh, on that out, uh, high quality output. <laughs> so we, we just yeah. had to keep a close eye on it. Yeah, well, but, I, I think that was the other thing. Is it was less the, the focus became less of how high quality the output was and more focus on that the output is something and something is preserved at this point in time and uh, the. The process of collaboration between the, um, the performers and the, the audience is the kind of thing. Yeah. Something I also really enjoyed because it was such a durational piece, it was a 12 hour show, 
um, that the audience, some audience members who stayed the full 12 hours were in the band. Like, officially, you are now in the band. Congratulations. <laughs> this, is, this is the thing. So by the end, I think, of the first time we did it, there was a mosh pit of people just there. It was high emotions and high stakes, and it was quite real. Um, and, in the, and when we say improv in the moment, it was truly in the moment of 12 hours, which I thought, God, time doesn't really matter anymore. <laughs> By that point, we get quite tired, but also time doesn't matter because you have truly created, some, created something together, which is wild. Yeah, that's spectacular. And that actually uh, brings me to one of the questions I've got written down in front of me. Um, the, so the question as written is, how can music and dance be incorporated into improv? But listening to this conversation, I think that question needs to be flipped on its head. So if you go back 100 years before people like the oldest Bowl and, and, and stuff started messing around with modern improvised theatre, improvisation meant jazz, it meant improvised choreography. It, it was, improvisation was meant in a purely musical sense um, before what we might call modern improv. So my question then becomes, how do you think music and dance and improv, and in inverted commas, got separated? Why, why do we think about them separately? We all come from different disciplines. I think we have different really big interests or focuses. And you know, for Eliza, your focus is dance and choreography and that. So that could be, that's the context that you want to use improv to play in, and same with theatre and storytelling. And then I guess with music, um, you'll be lost in yourself. <laughs> yeah, so. I sort of feel like the separation is is performativity because life is improv. <laughs> you know, like musicians improvising all the time on their way to making a song and it's 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 the, um, the making it valid in front of people thing, going, putting a name on it, saying this is this is still a performative a performative thing or something. Reminds me of a conversation I had in the green room with Brenda Bennett yesterday um, about uh, putting on a performance of Hamlet and getting up at the start and saying, just so you know, everything you're about to see was made up 600, well, 400 years ago. Yeah. You know? uh, like everything is made up at some point and at some point is improvisation going on yeah. and it's at what point you choose to kind of make that concrete and go, here is the work. Yeah, we talk about in um, some of the some of the methods that we've been using refined provocations and open provocations and kind of having a spectrum between those two those two things. And um, while we were in the development of it, trying to nuance the the language of what that was to be really clear, like the most refined provocation in terms of dance being like a completely choreographed phrase that you learn and you know. But you never do it the same ever, and it's you know my arm is moving through space now, and now it's moving through space, but it's a bit tired from just having moved through space. <laughs> so, so the whole experience in the body is you know it's a, obviously it's about immediacy and it's about um, the kind of moment to moment moment interaction with the self and the space. But I guess for me there was a really interesting thing in being like actually there can be moments within this fully improvised performance where we all know, in inverted commas, yeah. exactly the choreography, but it's just a perspective shift. To make yeah. it improvisation. It's an enabling constraint. Yeah. Right? I don't know that language. Okay, so, <laughs> so it's, it's the idea that 
um, you have some things that are fixed so that you're free to improvise on other areas. Yeah, yeah. So um, sometimes uh, an improvised show might be just completely freeform, but other times you might have uh, particular beats that you you had. I did a show here at the festival a few years ago that was an improvised buddy cop film. It was all improvised except for the first scene, which was a, a tightly choreographed flashback about how this uh, cop lost his partner in the line of duty and kind of became this like hard-bitten, two days from retirement uh, cop. And so that bit was choreographed so that we could set it up for the, for the rest of the thing. Um, I was talking to V, one of the dancers after the show the other night, and she was talking about um, one of the beats that you had was um, take your third impulse. Um, and that's something that we that is talked about in improvised theatre a lot as well. Like, um, don't just reach for the, the obvious choice, like take, take the next obvious thing or the one after that. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see that same idea being reached from multiple directions as well. Totally. I think if, like, I have a feeling that if I came into a theatre improv space, I'd be like, Oh, that's that thing, but with different language around it. Oh, that's that's the that's the me thing, but with the voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, <I love> <laughs> I'm going to use that when it's in the next musical improv which I'm going to do. So everyone, I'm just do the me thing. <laughs> you will know what <laughs> um, I want to talk about mixing mixing improv and music within a show. Um, Liam, I think of you as, a, as an improv musician in a specific class of improv musicians um, and thinking of people like yourself, uh, Matt Hutton, uh, Michael Bell in Christchurch, Robbie Hunt, who are musicians who are also happy to like play in the scenes. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that and how you, how you find that mm. style? Yeah, I think it's a different... It's a different uh, Different thing, like a different set of skills, because the like on one hand you've got the the muso who is like part of the set dressing basically, who's very non-diegetic, uh, meaning they don't uh, like the characters in the world cannot hear the music, um, and so that they like them. The musician as a person doesn't necessarily have to engage in the same way in the, in the scenes, and then as you're talking about the people who are. Uh, happy to be characters or happy to interact with the scene. I find it very uh, strange, <laughs> um, just as a as a as a thing, because I feel like the the keyboard does a lot of like pianist. Um, the keyboard often does my like talking for me. So if I'm if I'm a muso who's not like has to be cast as a character in the show, it's like uh, all, all of the speaking, all of my offers are coming through this one thing, and I can control that um, to a certain degree. Um, but also there's like it's any music is it's 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 vague and it's abstract and like it can be interpreted in multiple different ways and I feel like the um, by casting yourself as a as a character you now have like two two different voices that can be interpreted differently yeah. and and that's that's the thing I find often uh, difficult or um, kind of hard to like work between it's uh, it's often why when I'm playing a character and who is was also the musician. I often won't do both at the, at the same time, or if I do, I've, I've thought about it a lot about what I'm going to do, and then I'll, I'll do it. Because I find, I find it hard to be like, I'm, I'm talking, I'm giving offers verbally, and now here is something um, that my character uh, character is playing that you have to interpret abstractly. I think the more, the more people can uh, do that, I think the more that you can cast your musos as, as characters, they're just like, 
enlivens the world in a, in a way that um, that you don't that you don't get otherwise. Um, so, for example, in the music musical show that we did on Tuesday, I was um, like a musical director character, but there were some scenes where I wasn't really, I wasn't necessarily speaking or doing. Uh, uh, you know, talking or being the character, but I was like underscoring or um, providing support musically. And there's a there's there's a question there for the audience around whether I am my character or not in that scene. Am I just the user who is interesting, or am I am I a character who is there literally the whole time? And I think that's really interesting because I don't really know the answer to that. And it's that, so interesting you say that because yeah. every time I go to an show and I see a musician as the set dressing, it weirds me out. Because I'm like, it is literally a human who is in the room behind you and you haven't acknowledged them. And I find, I, as an audience member, I, it's interesting you say that because I go, why haven't, hasn't anybody acknowledged the thing in the room, which is another person? Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's real. Yeah, well, I, I think the, the, the main thing for me is like, Starting to being a muso and improvise musically, um, you you are secrets and you like so many of the the shows I did was just like at the back playing music like it was just not a thing. So like it's taken a lot for to get to the point where I'm okay being a character who also plays music. It's wow. a it's an interesting question. I, I had a solo show in March and I was like, can I have a music? I need a musician for this show, but is it still a solo show if I have a musician <laughs> who is also improvising? Um, and I, I did, and fantastic Charles uh, named Sebastian, and he was he was on stage, and we never we never interacted um, as part of the show, um, but his offers were instrumental. <laughs> that was that was accidental, but uh, so was that. Yes, um, I also came to see musical and musical, and I thought in the same way you're talking about like the set dressing of a musician, I love the way that you brought Darren into it as well. Because I, uh, I go to so many shows, everyone's like, "All right, applause for the audience," and now, "Okay, now applause for the lighting technician." Yay! But like you brought him into it as a character as well, and I thought it's interesting you talk about the human being aspect of someone in the stage in that way. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I, I think people are scared of it. And I think people are afraid of it because they feel like they need to, uh, there's something about like, the internal logic of the show of like, um, they need to be there all the time. So for example, you know, they're doing a scene and then they change scenes and it's like, oh, well, but Dee's still in the lighting box and he was in the lighting box in the last scene, so he must still be there. And Liam's still over by the piano, so he must still be there in the scene. And I think audience of, Audiences are smarter than that, and they can, there is it's fine for there to be like grey areas where it's like oh well, he's probably not the tech person now. It's it's okay. We're focusing on a different thing, and I think improv has that suspension of disbelief. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And it's just like there's more there's more room to be interested with that stuff. It's just okay. using the craft to guide guide attention. Essentially, it's just focus Where's the focus in the scene at this point? And it's just listening really well to all aspects. Just um, your co-players and your audience, but also your technicians and musicians and other people who are making the show happen. So, uh, speaking of that, but as a as an improvising actor, um, uh, I'm I'm throwing around a bunch of terms because I don't want to be exclusive with my language when I talk about improv. But as an improvising actor, improvising in scenes with a musician, how do you find that influences your play? 
Uh, it's, it's, it's my favourite play is with a musician. Yeah. Because musical improv is my favourite type of improv. But, but beyond yeah. like where you're explicitly singing, yes. we, we mean involvement of the musician is, oh, more, um, is more implicit. I notice particularly with, um, it depends on who's playing, because um, mm. there is so many different musicians with different styles and different ways they want to contribute to a scene. Liam really contributes really well with tone and tone shift in, in scenes. So if we're kind of coming to um, a scene where there's a lot of tension, maybe we're doing a build and then we kind of come to a point where we're like, oh, it's kind of stuck in this tension part, then it might go soft. And so I'm like, cool, character shift goes into soft. And so it might go my intention of the character is not to, I want to argue with you, it's now I want to um, reveal something vulnerable about myself to you. So it, he's really good at at checking where the scene needs to go. Other, other improvisers um, might do it in different ways, other musical improvisers, and um, it might not necessarily be focused on tone, but it will be um, more help supporting what you need to do and um, supporting what you're doing. So then that kind of comes back to you to shift and or find it in your scene partner who you're playing with to shift on something else. So it just depends on who you who you play with and knowing really well how they like to work. Are there times when uh, the, the music reveals something to you about your character that you weren't aware of previously? Or something that the audience is perhaps starting to pick up pick up on that the, the musician is going, Oh, I want to emphasize this and you go, Oh yeah, it is time for me to have that character Actually sometimes um, I've had uh, being in scenes where I go to walk on is one character. I'm like, yo, this is the character of this scene, and it's going to be this, you know, lady who don't take no shit. Um, and then the music is like, yo, this is not your vibe in this scene. This is so I've got to change that character real quick to yeah. complement the music. So for sure, it's um, music just it's kind of inherent. Like music is such an inherent thing where you hear and you're like, oh, this is the tone. This is the thing that you need to do. Um, and you need to change. And the, the way music is interpreted is while the, the tones may be like um, obvious in certain situations, and while it's like sad tones and like happy things or like uh, intrigue or something, sometimes it's quite obvious. It's, it's uh, what the music is picking up on, like whose character is feeling this thing, or what the scene is feeling, or whether it's something else. That's like totally out for interpretation. And so I feel like these these moments where you um, you reveal something about your character or like you can feel a tonal shift. It like um, I sometimes feel like I'm talking, my keyboard is talking about one particular character or one moment or like something that someone says and someone might be like, oh yeah, it's this other thing that I didn't even think of. So it's like and that that's interesting. Um I have one question for Eliza specifically. When we start teaching improv and context we talk a lot about narrative and story structure we have all of these things like the hero's journey story spines all of that stuff that enforces a narrative style on our play um, to what extent does narrative factor into your work and specifically i guess in the context of dance dance have feelings is there that emphasis on narrative? My or? brain is going like, go up on that track, go up on that track, go up on that track. So many different ways I could go up on that track. So many different tracks. Um, yeah, I think like in terms of 
getting people started with improvisation. We've been talking a lot in the creation of dance dance have feelings about the way of seeing a dancing body as the body or the person, like the parts, the arm, the fingers, the head moving through space, or like, you know, middle-class-ish looking white woman wearing a nice outfit, you know. Um, and then when you have multiple dancers, of course, is that uh, one corporate thing, or is it 12 specific people, individuals, or is it 48? Totally, yeah. And that was, I think that was the, the bio for the show was like, I can't do the quick maths. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, 121 yeah. ribs and, you know, yeah. 17 heads. <laughs> it was 11 heads. I can't I can count that many. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I, I'm interested in the framing of of that, of how to, how to um, encourage the audience's eye towards those things and to do that just, just taking the dancers eye and interest and decision-making process towards the kind of interplay between those two things. And in the process of doing that, the word character kind of sometimes slips out of my mouth and it's it's really tricky with with dancers because there's this, I think the dancers are amazing mm -hmm. at doing characters as long as they don't think they're doing characters because there's this preconceived expectation of like, oh, I don't have an acting training, I don't know all the tools that do that. but. Um, dancers do have the tools for those things in their body so so like catching it in a way that is um that works through the framing of the body to get to the person and then we were kind of talking a lot about like using finding our way into the person and then just refining the focus and using the tool of like I literally just think about the sensation in my shoulder and that helps me to forget that I'm hushed up and looking like an old man so my shoulder starts moving and my shoulder shifts back and suddenly I open out and I'm like someone screaming at the wind. That's um, really fascinating because one of the ways that we teach to get into character is finding the physicality totally. and building a character from that. Um, so kind of coming at it from different angles and meeting the And then like we definitely were as an audience member narratives to be found in Dance Nuts Have Feelings and I think everyone would have come away with different ideas of what narrative means in the context of that show, but again it came down to that, that collaboration with the audience and the dancers reacting to the reactions to their reactions to the reactions yeah. of someone else. Yeah, I'm really excited by, particularly in dance and dance that has like a little bit of a hint towards theatre or slightly more than a hint towards theatre, particularly um, absurdity and abstract theatre, of um, enabling the kind of associative powers of everyone watching and just like, I I love the thought that every single person's story, if, if somebody came away and was like, that was a bunch of bellwizers floating around and they got something from that, awesome. Um, but it's the natural inclination to start to find story, that's how the human brain works. And I just love the possibility of dance to go like, that's 80 different stories that <laughs> done, made, like, and they're all right and they're all it. And like the thing of, for me, the thing of authorship within that and going like to not to not be attached to the story, but to be attached to the kind of way of telling it. Basically, we started for the kind of code for dance dance have feelings um, was my my taste. It's <laughs> kind of where we started from. So we had some really interesting conversations around like people being like trying to understand what I what I meant by kind of being like it isn't any story specifically, but it's like 
a hint towards it, but then don't give us the ending so that we get to, you know, do it. I feel like that sounded way more profound in my head. Because we, 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 we all put story structures on our own lives, right? David Mehmet talks about that, how we, we, we dramatize our own lives and put ourselves at the center of stories. If it's raining, it's raining because of my particular mood. Um, that sort of thing. Um, I remember like just talking about the like discovering different different ideas and different ways of getting into that. Like I remember a show that we did um, in Canberra in Prevention in 2015. There were, there were three of us there that taught uh, workshops in non-verbal improv. Um, so I did my ballet workshop that I'm doing on Saturday. Um, Casper Shelbred from Denmark did a climbing workshop and Nigel Sutton from Melbourne did a mine workshop. And the director of the festival, Nick Byrne, gave us an hour-long show between the three of us. And so we had like 10 minutes each in the, in the first section of the show to do our separate things. And then the second half was just completely freeform um, with students from our workshops just doing the things that they'd learned in those workshops, but together. So there was a, there was a mind conversation between two people, but uh, there were people dancing their emotions behind them. Uh, there's another scene where uh, two people were being operated as puppets, but then the people operating them as puppets were also being puppeted. And those people were also being puppeted in a huge <laughs> chain. Uh, and it just like, it created this amazing, weird, but extremely satisfying combination of, of stuff. And there wasn't a single word in the whole show. Uh, and there people in the audience in tears, just, just watching people moving on stage. And it was one of the most satisfying improv experiences of my life. I mean, you never know what's going to resonate with people. Exactly. And I like, sometimes think it really doesn't matter because people come in with their day behind them. The amount of times I've been to a show and had a shit day and I hated the show because I've had a shit day, mm. or I've come into a show and I've just been like a glowing, amazing mood and everything's wonderful. Like, that's the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, <laughs> people see, you know, they tell their own stories through what they're seeing. Um, and I love that, yeah, the lack of words to be like, you kind of have to tell your own story through yeah. what you're seeing, so <laughs> not giving you much, you know, or not giving you. Yeah. All right, uh, we're going to go to audience questions first. Uh, you from the audience wants to ask. I was totally blown away by the dance, dance feelings. I, I really enjoyed dance before, but I hadn't really seen it as the improv way. I also live next door to a jazz musician in an adjacent unit, so I hear pretty much everything he does. Um, <laughs> and he's awesome, but you would never think of um, you know, improv in this sort of context. Um, I also love freestyle rap, <laughs> um, listening to it. I'm not that good at doing it, but um, uh, getting them involved in improv, I don't know. I was wondering if you had any examples of um, that you knew of, of, of cross-collaboration or you know between these different disciplines that, that's working, or if you think there's potential in that, or difficulties with it. Um, I mean, I can talk broadly to cross-collaboration between theatre and dance, um, and speculatively between hoping to um, to bring more improv into that world. I guess I mean, based on ticket sales, you're welcome back at this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. We would absolutely adore to come back. Yeah. So um, the company that I run with my sibling, uh, Charlie, they're called House of Sand, and he comes from a theatre background, and I come from a dance background. And he danced growing up until he was seventeen, and I have done some acting. Um, since we launched House of Sand. So we have 
we're kind of solidly in our words, worlds, but we have an interest and a foot in the other camp. And the works that we create are um, heavily influenced by each other. So up to this point, we've kind of created five dance works with a really strong theatre influence and three theatre works with a really strong movement influence and now the work that we're currently creating, which is a, a set choreographed world um, work, um, we're trying to have like an equal meeting point. And it's been a really interesting process over the last five years of understanding the different working processes and communities and day-to-day -day kind of habits of um, actors and dancers. And I've, I've often had a thing of being like, eh, actors versus dancers, there shouldn't be that, you know? But I'm slowly kind of coming to terms with the fact of being like, mm, people need different things when they come into the rehearsal room. You know, like as dancers, we are so accustomed to doing a morning class all together that when I was acting in a um, acting in a play and I was like, what, we don't, we don't come together? I was like, can we just like make eye contact in a group before, like, you know? Um, so, and the kind of teasing in and out of those worlds I found is a much is a much slower process than I kind of originally thought or I guess wanted wanted that to be. I kind of wanted actors to jump in and be like, yes, we need to do class every morning as well. And dancers to go, yes, we need to know about voice work and we need to understand character development and stuff. Because I'm not a purist, <laughs> starting to kind of go, what is it to to have a room with two purists who are interested in what the other person is doing, but are kind of holding their own thing, um, whereas because I've always been such a scatterbrain, it's like, I want to be this, I want to be an actor, I want to be a director, I want to be a choreographer, I want to be a dancer, I want to be a producer, like, I'm interested in every, what everyone's doing. So I think that, I think it's absolutely the richest and most possible and most wonderful thing. The thing that I has become most of the work is the framing, to make everyone, everyone feel like it's their room, everyone feel like it's... Um, their place and they know they know the codes of the space, they know the implied information of how all the how everything is coming together. Yeah, I know I know people who are like interested to come and do dance and you just feel uncomfortable in like not knowing how to how to act, you know. It's scary. Feel, it's scary. It's yeah. very scary. When you're trained in one specific discipline and you, like for example I have no experience with dance and movement. It scares the living daylights out of me but I love to watch it. Oh my lord, it's so good. But I think when we have things like the New Zealand Improv Festival, what a great opportunity or platform to do a workshop in movement, or like Matt's, like Matt's doing, like take risks, I and mean, then that's improv, that's life, be bold, and try things that really scare the shit out of you. And then you might discover something, but speaking to the framing thing that you were talking about in terms of how can we you know, curate a show with so many different disciplines, um, I think that's a real big challenge and I think it's an exciting challenge. I, I just personally, I've never come across a framework on a show that fits and, and hosts those disciplines. It's, it's challenging outside of improv as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, my experience with musical theatre is that um, the 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 MD works with the singers on the songs and the, the acting director works on the blocking. So so that the songs, unless you're really specifically focusing on it, the songs are never acted. The songs are separate from the from the action and from the blocking of the rest of the piece. And it, 
it can feel quite jarring because um, you've got this this character who may be fully formed through the rest of the show, but then they start singing a song and they're, they're a different person. They're, they're the act that's singing the song because uh, that's that's how it was rehearsed. It was rehearsed separately and, and blocked very late in the piece of them. I think there's an interesting thing with that with like hierarchy, hierarchy of forms, which sometimes can be a very um, obvious front foot thing, like this is a theatre show and we want a bit of dance in it. Um, but then like what we've discovered making that was Friday is just the innate the innate thing of which languages are, are front foot people and which languages are back foot people and kind of going, actually we need to put we need to put the dance at the front of the like as a really kind of crude example, we need to put the dance at the front of the space because everyone like everyone in the space hears the sound of someone talking, but people have to choose which dancer to give their eye to. And that's interesting, Brendan Yates was saying exactly the same thing yesterday, uh, about how um, verbal improvisers often trump non-verbal improvisers, um, because their offers are so much more concrete and direct and um, and if you get one of each in the scene, the, the talky person will come away going, why didn't you make any offers? Mm. And the non-verbal person will say, why weren't you picking up on all of the offers that I was making? <laughs> 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 cool, do we have one, uh, one more question? Lyndon um, I think Eliza particularly, um, you mentioned um, between you one of the, I guess, structures or provocations that you were using. And um, if, you wanted to talk um, any more about uh, the sorts of things or the, the specific examples of what you do use? Or well, also, Lyndon, a lot, a lot of your work is based in clowning and, yeah. uh, and finding stuff through physicality and, and that sort of stuff. A lot yeah. of the stuff you've done with Night Fight has been that style as well. I think I've often, um, often I'll, I think of it as treating like the audience as a scene partner, but often I'll, I'll um, Basically, the whole structure of my ten-minute bit is having a a motivation or a thing that I'm trying to achieve between me and the audience, and working towards that within um, the constraints of the character that I've set. And a, a slightly different thing that's also related to that is again um, uh, collapsing that um, the the idea that we're just here to present a story in front of the audience that so actually. We're all here in the same room. Post-COVID, I have more trouble. I have the habit of saying breathing the same again. <laughs> but, um, but that's a thing. Um, but yeah, okay. uh, I think particularly how you structure things in movement to to get results that you want. To yeah, see. I think just just to start with that really last point, the audience is a little bit underutilized in dance sometimes in terms of we're all here in the same room and particularly because dance is about the body and the embodied experience. Um, I, I've got this quiet little crusade in the back of my head because I don't actually feel very comfortable sitting in chairs <laughs> and I hate watching dance and being like, oh my God, I had this rant on the last podcast. I, was on. <laughs> I, I hate watching dance and feeling like, you get to move your bodies and have all this expression moving through your body and you're forcing me to sit and that makes my sacrum hurt. <laughs> um, so, but the um, embracing the, the fact of the mirror neurons and that we are, our bodies are changing the way your bodies are being and, and vice versa. So that's something that I am wanting to actively look at 
more in terms of um, enabling the audience to to see what they're doing as a dance and to see dance as just crossing my legs in the other direction or just thinking about the experience of my thigh bones. Um, because if you think about the experience of your thigh bones, the sensation in your body shifts. So for me, one of the things about watching dance is about like guiding the eye towards a part of the body that we don't often look at, so we don't think about it, so we think about it in ourselves and we feel it differently within our bodies. The, the provocations, so we spoke about the elements in a very kind of viewpointsy way. Um, uh, so, you know, tempo, rhythm, repetition, topography, um, tension, and in the kind of viewpoint sphere, that being about between and around the bodies in the space, um, and then taking that and going my, just all of those things within my my own body. So um, one of the tasks might be attention to tension, and then we would have a scale of tension. So at ten, everything every muscle is as switched on as it can possibly be. And at one, you're as loose and free and as available as you can possibly be. And then a refined provocation would be, okay, we're going to stay in only 10 tension. <laughs> so we, we can't let go of this tension at all. You know, and it, it's, um, it is purely about the kind of arbitrary, formal thing of it. And the thing that often people end up looking angry is just kind of a... A happy, a happy coincidence, and then we come back into the thing of shifting between the body and the person, and then just and then layering layering the elements onto that. So say we've chosen we've chosen ten at your most tense for tension, and then we go tempo three and a half. So it's kind of going to be quite slow, but there's a progression from three and a half to ten. So over this two minutes, you have to move from you know, moving quite slowly and very tense to staying just as tense but moving as fast as you fucking can. <laughs> I also, we talked a little bit about finding your way in through arbitrary movement and just kind of dancing improvisation tools of like parts of the body, directions to move them in. You know, there's um, the foresight technique which has the nine point systems which is a layer of nine a square of nine dots above your head one through the center and one on the floor and you know um, you can go to any of those places as an example so just like switching between arbitrary tasks and using elements to kind of refine refine what energy of that moment is so what we did for dance dance have feelings is we we just had we would do three provocations for the first group, three provocations for the second group. We called them microcodes. And each microcode could be anywhere between being a really open provocation, for example, dance big, <laughs> um, or dance soft, or um, be backwards, <laughs> um, all the way to a really refined provocation, which was, you know, this phrase we learned in class this morning, we're going to do that phrase, but you can, at any moment, you can reverse the movement by one centimetre. Or um, you can speed up the movement for two movements, then you have to slow down again. Um, so there's just some little choices within something that's very known. Um, this is completely fascinating, and I'd love to talk to you more about it. I just want to finish off uh, with 
two very quick lightning questions for everyone. One, is there anything you want to plug, because uh, that's important, um, and two, uh, what one piece of advice would you give to um, musicians or improvisers who want to keep that? Advice first. Yeah. Um, find someone you like and reach out to them. Be bold and say, let's do a thing. Um, that's how I jump into everything. So mm. that's cool. Um, thing I'm plugging is a musical theatre showcase that's coming up at Te Awaha with Witch. And uh, a very exciting show. I don't know if there's any more tickets left. It could be sold out. But um, <laughs> it's going to be really fun. It's my first time doing musical theatre. So there you go. Be great. Plugging stuff like that, just go, go stuff in the festival. I don't know when this podcast is out, it's probably it's out of it. Probably be next week. Hope you went to stuff in the festival. Um, and, Come next year. Yeah. <laughs> but my advice would probably be uh, just like uh, listen, listen and uh, respond to people from different disciplines, similar to what we were saying, but I mean, more like on stage, when you're with them, look at them, listen to them, talk to them. If you want to talk to a musician, just like look at them and make them a part of the same. Eliza. I think I think my advice is go and see the things from the other discipline and see mm. your see how your discipline exists within it. Just like go to a theatre show and be like, I'm seeing a dance show. Or go to a dance show and say, This is a theatre show. Um, so that. Um, That's awesome. And the thing oh the thing that I have to plug is I have a series of like four episodes of a kind of podcast poetry experience. Thing where I lead the listeners through a um, an improvisation uh, to get the body moving, and then you listen to the poetry and you move in response to the poetry. You can, of course, also listen in silence, um, but in stillness. I mean, but in stillness, not just a choreographic choice. It's a little. <laughs> so how, how do we how do we get um, on that? On the House of Sand website, houseofsand.org, or on the Belconnen Arts Centre website, which is. Belcon Art Centre. Great. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Uh, I'll finish up um, by saying that I think everyone should take uh, at least just beginner classes and stuff to increase your performance range. Um, take a beginning dance class. It's fun. Um, so Karen so Wellington Human Dance does amazing beginner dance classes. Great. Fantastic. Um, yeah, take take a, a singing class. Um, it's, a, it's a singing lesson. It's usually just you and the teacher, so you're not going to call it by yourself or anything. Um, uh, but my other piece of advice is I'm teaching a workshop on Saturday. Um, probably you won't hear about this, uh, but if you get a chance to go in the future, uh, it's called On Point, and it's exploring how um, dance and improv, particularly ballet, can work together um, to strengthen each other. But mostly coming at it from a theatrical improv point of view. That's on Saturday morning. Uh, there are still registrations available. Um, but that's largely moot because this podcast will probably be going out next week. So it reminds <laughs> me uh, to thank uh, Eliza Sanders, Liam Kelly, Pippa Drakeford, Aaron Douglas, uh, and everyone here at the, in the Dome at Bats. I've been Matt Powell. This is the New Zealand Metro Festival 2020 conference uh, accepting the bets. Goodbye. Woo! This episode was produced and edited by me, Aaron Douglas. 
and made possible thanks to the New Zealand Improv Trust, Creative New Zealand, and Victoria University's internship program. The New Zealand Improv Festival Close to Home ran 3rd to the 10th of October 2020 at BATS Theatre. Learn more about it at improvfest.nz or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.